the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning. Uh, My name is Gemma. Um, I'm really sorry about my voice. It's a combination of um, having been ill and also uh, shouting yesterday at the football. So I I am really sorry. I should know better. And um, hopefully the Lord will uh, step in where my uh, sinfulness has failed. Um, I'm a member here. And um, it's my genuine pleasure to be opening up God's word with you this morning. Um, Over the last three weeks or so at Belmont, uh, we've been looking at the Psalms, haven't we? We've been getting ready for the birth of Jesus Christ. And we've thought about how the Psalms help us to prepare for Christmas and for life more generally. Johnny helped us kind of look at that. Then we used them to look at the theme of hope with Alex uh, and... um, Peace last week with Saz. Uh, and this morning, we are going to be focusing on... Um, now, I need to click this right. There we go. On joy. That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, in case you hadn't grasped that already. Um, and we're going to explore another psalm together. But before we kind of get into that, I have a question that I'd love you to chat with the people around you about. And that is, I just want you to share, what in your life brings you joy? Off you go. Okay, three, two, one. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Um, Hopefully you've, uh, you've been encouraged by some of those conversations. Now, a couple of years ago, this was quite a big question that, that people were asking. This lady, if you, if you don't know her, is uh, Marie Kondo. She's a Japanese organising consultant, which maybe I might need a bit of help from in my own life. Um, but she became a household name and a verb. Her name became a verb uh, when her TV show became one of the most watched things on Netflix during lockdown. Um, people began Marie Kondoing, see, verb, their life, um, and they were asking themselves whether the things that they had in their home sparked joy. See, Marie's whole idea is that you should look at an item in your house and ask yourself, does this spark joy? And if that item doesn't spark joy, then you no longer need it in your home and you should get rid of it. That's, that's, the, that's the philosophy, okay? Ooh. You didn't receive that very well at all. It's not, it's not my philosophy. I've got nothing to do with it. I'm just sharing it with you. Um, thank you. Sorry. But, bring, let's, let's come back. Come on. Um, it does, though, like... It's an interesting thought, and, and, and this question of joy and, and what brings us joy is a really, really big one, okay? Um, society places a huge emphasis on, on happiness and feeling good, things that are often associated with joy, um, and we see people leaving their jobs, um, sometimes even leaving their families behind because they no longer spark joy in their lives anymore, Now, those of you that have the pleasure of knowing me in your life, you're very welcome. Um, That's not what I'm going to say, it's just a little side note. Um, You'll be be well aware that that I find joy in a lot of things. Um, 
Oh, here we go. Um, whether it's cheesy pop music or kind of belting out bangers while I'm doing karaoke, uh, it, it might be football, although not, not always, um, or the little orange that magically appears on my desk every morning. Um, I can list loads and loads of things that bring me that deep sense of, of delight, of, of contentment, of comfort, of, of light, that I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand joy to be. One of the things, though, that has like, consistently brought me joy in my life, from being very, very little to being a lot bigger now, um, it is Christmas. I love Christmas. Um, Christmas has always brought me joy. Um, as the earlier I can celebrate Christmas, the better, because I love it. I love the trees, I love the different types of food, I love the lights, I love the cheesy films, I love the fact that we get to wear like lots of layers, um, I like the singing, I love the fact that everything is mulled, um, mulled, I don't really know what goes into mulling something, but it's the greatest thing ever. Um, and and I, I love Christmas, I love it with all my heart, and, and for so many years, Christmas has brought me so much joy, and, and I'm not from a Christian family. I started going to church when I was 11, but I was kind of 16 before I sort of took seriously that kind of decision to follow Jesus. But, but for as long as I can remember, I've loved Christmas. But that first Christmas in, um, in, in December 2012, after I'd made that decision to follow Jesus, was the most incredible Christmas of my entire life. And, and it wasn't that we did anything special. It was just a normal, like, Cain family Christmas. There was nothing different about it. What, what made it incredible, what made it amazing, was the fact for the first time in my life, I understood what Christmas was about. Like, for the first time in my life, I got in my heart why Christmas was so special and why it is such a joyful time. As we began kind of looking at this series, um, oh, let's put a picture, um, Johnny Johnny used this quote to start us off. He said about the Psalms that they, they put their undeviating understanding of greatness of the Lord alongside our situations so that we may have a due sense of the proportion of things. And I'm reminding you of that this morning because I'm aware not all of you will have the same thoughts and feelings about Christmas as I do. Yeah, Not all of you will share in my excitement for Christmas full stop. Not all of you will have had the same experiences at Christmas as I have. And for this Christmas coming up, for some of you, it's going to be hard. You're not, you're not really looking forward to it. And I want you to know that that's okay. That's absolutely fine. It's not a problem. But please, please, please do not mistake excitement for joy, okay? Because they are two different things. And as we explore this morning in our psalm, and as I realized for the first time in December 2012, that the joy of Christmas isn't found in the lights and the food and the fact that everything is mulled. It's not reliant, actually, on our mood or our feelings or our past experiences, the reason we have joy at Christmas is because of Christ. It's because of who he was, because of what his birth meant, and because of everything that his life did and does and will do. Not just for me, not just for you, but for the entire world, for the entirety of creation, actually. And it's for all those that have gone before and for all those that come after us too. 
And so in a minute, I'm going to read our psalm uh, for this morning. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to think about how this psalm helps us to understand how at the darkest and coldest and bleakest time, we can and we should have joy when it comes to Christmas. So let me uh, read the psalm. We're going for Psalm 98. We're not going for it. That's what I've been given. Sorry. Psalm 98. Um, It was going to be on the screen so you can follow along in your Bibles if you want to um, or on the screen. I don't mind. Um, But let me read Psalm 98 to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with the trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you that we have time now to explore it together. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will prompt and nudge and encourage and challenge us as we look through this psalm together. Keep our minds and our hearts and our ears focused on what you have to say to us this morning. Help us um, through what we hear now to grow more into the people that you intended us to be. Amen. Okay, so for those of you who have brilliant memories, you may feel like this psalm feels a little bit familiar. And that's because it's really, really similar um, to Psalm 96, which was the psalm that Johnny helped us think about at the beginning of the series. Now, now Johnny shared that it's quite difficult to find a psalm that's basically all positive. But like Psalm 96, Psalm 98 is also a fairly upbeat song. That's because it's a victory um, psalm, right? Which we're going to think a little bit more about in a minute. But it basically means that it was written at a time when things are pretty good for Israel. Yeah, they're pretty good for God's people. Now, I spend a lot of my weekends here. um, And the songs that we were singing when we were top of the league a few months ago, very different to the ones that I heard being sung yesterday as we sit 20th just outside uh, the relegation zone. The most dra- like dramatic and drastic change in terms of the songs that, that are being sung are around the manager, okay, who is currently getting a lot of the blame, but when we were doing well, was getting a lot of the glory. This psalm, I want you to imagine, is a little bit like a football champ, okay, of a team that, that just keep winning. They're praising God, they're their manager, um, for winning them victory against their opponents, And just like on the Big Bang, we kind of like drum and we clap our hands and we sing and we shout when our team is doing great. The psalmist is encouraging the Lord's people to do the same in response to the victory that they have won. Now, the psalm is pretty um, prescriptive when it comes to what what our joy should look like, I think. It says, shout for, the Lord, shout for joy to the Lord of the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the king. 
In fact, verses 4 to 9 make it super clear that, that our joy should take the form of singing and making noise and music. And if you want to know more about why that's the case, then I really, really recommend you listening back to Johnny's sermon and his conversation with Laura, who kind of oversees some worship here, um, because she explains it really clearly and really beautifully, actually, why singing and music is how we're called to express um, that joy and thankfulness. But, but one of the main reasons we're called to do it is because um, when we encounter joy, there's a need for like an, an active expression of that. Now, the reality is, is that we're not always going to want to do it in that way. We're not always going to want to sing and shout and clap our hands and make noise because that's not where we're at all the time. And, and do you know what? That's okay. Because we are in a body of believers. We are a church, a family together. And when one of us is struggling and unable to sing, the rest of us sing louder for that person. But we, it's important that we, we find a way to express that joy. However weak or, or frail or difficult it, it may be. Because this psalm reminds us, I think, that even when things are hard and difficult and pants, right, really pants in our lives, when we, when we can't see joy and we definitely can't feel joy, there is still joy. It's still there. And there are still reasons for us to have joy. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning thinking about. Um, so I, I think we have joy because the Lord has done incredible things. In verse 1, we read this, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. As we've looked already, this is a psalm of victory. And we see through scripture that God's right hand and his holy arm typically refer to kind of um, uh, his power in a, in a battle. Um, Tremper Longman in his commentary writes that the salvation the psalmist is celebrating here is a military one. It's the victory in a war. The joy that the people have in this moment is the delight that God is greater and bigger and stronger than the God or gods that the defeated nation leans upon instead. As they sing this new song of victory to a God that's rescued them from defeat, they give thanks and credit for the role that God has played in handing them that victory. They have joy because God has done something incredible for them. There we go. Um, If you've been here since September, um, you'll know that we've been spending time thinking about the Old Testament. During the series that we we looked at, we reflected on some of the incredible things that God has done throughout history. From breathing us into existence, to setting a people apart, to, to watching over and protecting those people, even when they weren't doing the things they were supposed to do, and delivering them from oppression and slavery. We've seen God provide physically and spiritually, practically and emotionally when his people have needed him. We have seen in scripture God do really marvelous things. And if that were it, if that were all we had, then I I don't know, I think God would still be worth praising. But, But it isn't, is it? It doesn't stop there for us. It gets better. And that is the joy at the heart of Christmas, that God himself enters the world not as a warrior or as a king but as a baby boy guys babies bring so much joy they just do 
He comes without status. He comes without esteem. He doesn't enter for himself, for his own glory or his own gratification. He doesn't do it for his own means like other gods of, of other people like had. He does it for his people, for his creation, for you and for me. And, and I think that's incredible. In fact, I think it's probably the most incredible thing that has ever happened in the whole of history. See, we have joy at, at Christmas because we remember that God has done and continues to do marvellous things. We have joy because we remember that something incredible, something marvellous happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. And we can marvel at this kind of once in history act and have that, that deep delight that is part of joy in the knowledge that that one act changes everything for everyone forever. And if you are in this room today and you are a Christian, then you will know how fantastic and how incredible that change really, truly is. That's something we can have joy about. I think we also have joy because the Lord has done incredible things. Go down to verse 2. Um, the Lord has made his salvation known. There we go. The Lord has made his salvation known and reveals his righteousness to the nations. As we've touched on already, God has brought about victory for his people. They know they've been saved from the forces that were attacking and trying to overcome them. He's made known to them and all the nations surrounding them, including the one that currently lay defeated at their feet, that God saves and God wins. In this moment, God has openly shown himself to be a saviour. And his people can experience that, that deep sense of comfort that comes, that is part of joy, because they know that God has got them, that he will rescue them from whatever tries to overcome them. Where we're stood today, like this side of the cross, that looks a little different. The victory we know, the one we sing about and think about and talk about in this place, week in, week out, well, it isn't to do with a historical battle, like we see in a war, but a spiritual one. That God has won for each and every one of us and wins for us each and every day. The Lord has made his salvation known, so known that he's given it a name. And his name is Jesus. And as we've looked at this year through studying the book of John together, Jesus delivers for all who call on his name. Sorry. There we go. For God so loved the world, Jesus says in uh, John 3.16, that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Later on in John uh, 14 verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're someone sat in this room today who doesn't know of this salvation, then firstly, thanks so much for being here. It's really, really lovely to have you join us. And we'd love to get to know you better and, and chat through any questions that you might have. But, but secondly, please, please, please don't leave today without taking one of these. Um, this is a Why, Jesus, uh, Why Christmas book. Um, because this, is gonna, this will explain to you far better than I can this morning what it means for God to make his salvation known to us. See, we have joy at Christmas because standing this side of the cross, we know who that baby is. We know who he grows up to be. We know what he grows up to do. In Jesus, we have the story of the ultimate battle won as God has made his salvation known to and for the entire earth. 
In the person of Jesus, we can take deep comfort that comes from joy because we know, just like his people did, that God has rescued, that God has saved, that he has delivered us, and he will continue to do so. And that's incredible. And that's just, just it's brilliant. And, and, I, and I struggle to find something more joyful than that, really. We can also have joy because God has remembered his promise to us too. Verse three, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. In their commentary on this passage, Dennis Tucker and Jamie Grant write that God's actions on behalf of his people have been motivated by love and faithfulness. You might be asking yourself, well, what faithfulness to what? And the answer to that is to his people and to his words. When God sets his people apart back in Genesis 12, he promises to give them a land and a a great nation. Now, I don't know a huge amount, I'm going to be completely honest, about the geopolitics of the near ancient world. But I do know for the Israelites that actually, if they lost their land or they were defeated in battle, then it would feel like for them that God hadn't, hadn't kept his promise. So when God comes through and wins this battle for them, makes them victorious and enhances, if you like, their greatness, they can have that deep sense of contentment that comes with joy, I think. Because they know that they have a God who remembers his promises, who is faithful to his word and his people. And they know too that, that all other nations, that they, they've witnessed this as well. They've seen this happen in real life. That faithfulness to his people and to his word extends even further for us today. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I can guarantee that you have seen something of God's faithfulness to his promises his word in your own life probably actually even this week if you properly think about it and if you are a follower of Jesus here in the room this morning every single day of your life God remembers his love and his faithfulness to you even when you forget your love and your faithfulness to him and the thing about this remembering is it's not just like a thought that pops into God's head where he goes oh Jem yeah I remember her it's not that Remembering in the Bible is active, it's not passive. So whether it's through blessing or challenge, whether it's through strength or comfort, God remembers his faithfulness and his love to us. And I think that's a pretty joyful thing too. As we think about the lead up to Christmas though, it's Jesus, isn't it, who's the ultimate symbol of this love and this faithfulness as a sign to all peoples of the earth for all of time. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, that's his rising again, are the fulfillment of thousands of years' worth of promises and prophecy from God. From when and where and how and who Jesus was born to, we see in him the, the ultimate display of God. Uh, and this God delivers on what he promises. We can have joy at Christmas then because we see in the birth of Jesus a God that comes through on his promises. We see in the birth of Jesus a God who remembers his love and his faithfulness when things are good and when things are bad. As we look to the birth of Jesus at Christmas, we see a God who who can be trusted. And we can have that deep sense of contentment that comes with joy because we know that what he says counts. It's true. 
And I think that's incredible. Finally then, we can have joy because the Lord is coming to make everything right. If you go down to verse 9, it says this. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in equity. The Israelites were waiting for the one that would come and put everything right. That's what they're waiting for. For them, the judgment of the earth was a joyful thing because it meant that that all were right before God. And being right before God is the best thing you could possibly have. On that day, the nations would stop fighting war against God's people and they would be judged for the things that they had done. The threat of of war and violence and struggle and opposition that constantly faced the Israelites wherever they went would stop. And all would be as it should be. As Adam Curtis writes in his commentary, um, this isn't a threat of punishment to come, but an assurance of justice and equity that's going to prevail under the reign of God. And to, to them singing this psalm, They're reminded of the hope that that brings that deep sense of of light that I think is part of joy. And it becomes this this really exciting and joyful thing. As we look towards Christmas and the coming of Jesus, the one who offers us salvation and the chance to be right before God, we can have that joy, that deep sense of light, because we know that on the day that Jesus returns, he has already made a way for us. We can look forward to that moment where the world is restored and renewed and redeemed, where everything is brought back to how it should have been, where there is no pain and no anger, no war and no violence anymore because of everything that comes with that. Now, this bit isn't very joyful, I'm sorry, but being completely honest, um, I really struggle with this, this bit. Um, on a, on a personal level, um, it's a real battle for me to find joy in this. I understand that as a follower of Jesus, I too should long for the day that this happens. Long for the day when the Lord comes to judge the earth. And I should be waiting in joy because I know that day is coming. I also, though, have a lot of friends and a lot of family who aren't followers of Jesus. And I love and care deeply for lots of people, actually, who aren't followers of Jesus. And I know that when he comes, the best place to be is with him, as a follower of him. And so for me, of all those things that we've talked about this morning, this is the one that I struggle to find joy in. And that might be the same for you, or it might be in one of the other things that we've explored this morning. And as I've been thinking about this this week, I've come to the decision... (laughs) that actually I think it's okay to struggle with it, to struggle with finding joy in these things. Because I think God can help us in it if we ask him, if we, if we ask him to show us why this is joyful, to find ways to see the joy in it. And I also think that just because we struggle to see it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. I still spoke about it this morning because it's still a reason to have joy even if I can't associate it with it myself right now. I started off this morning sharing with you how much joy um, Christmas brings to me in my life. It really, really does. And the deep sense of delight and contentment, of comfort and light that this time of year brings to me. 
And it's more than just my excitement at pretty shiny lights and cheesy music and mold-flavoured everything. The reason that this, this season brings me so much joy deep down is the fact that Christmas reminds us of the greatest thing that has ever happened. It reminds me of the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. And I really hope that it reminds you of the greatest thing that has ever happened to you and yours if you follow Jesus. And I think that's worth celebrating. I think it's worth trying to find the joy in that. The fact that Jesus is coming, that he is on his way, and everything changes when he is around. Everything This year, um, for Advent, I'm reading R.C. Sproul's Advent Reflection. Um, And and I want to leave you with some words from the very first day. What I and most people love about Christmas is the pageantry and the empty excitement of it all. But it's not a show, but some nice empty story that makes us feel good. It's the truth of the most incredible and amazing thing that has ever happened. Full stop. The reality of Jesus makes Christmas so much more exciting, so much more incredible and awe-inspiring, so much more incredible that joy becomes a natural response. Joy becomes a natural response. Why can certainty about Christ's life and work lead you to joy this week? And does it? And if it doesn't, are you going to do anything about it?